you were here last week, you will remember me saying that we have some quite interesting conversations at our dinner table. Often uh, things come up and are talked about. It's always good to have food, isn't it, and to chat. A lot of things come up around the table. Well, a few weeks ago, um, we were talking about, as many of you know, my dad died, and we were talking about my dad dying, and the boys were asking some questions. And Joshua didn't quite understand. He didn't... Joshua's my littlest, though, you know... And he said, I don't understand, how did Gramps die? And I said, I was trying to think of how to explain it. And um, my dad had kidney disease, and so did our cat. Some of you might have heard me talk about this. And so I thought, ah, I've got a a good thing. So I said, well, it was a bit like Georgia, the cat. I said, you know, she had very poorly kidneys. And she was okay, and she kept going. And then suddenly, she just couldn't go on anymore, because she was too poorly. And so... You know, she died. We had to take her to the vet. And Joshua went, oh, right. And then he went, do you mean Gramps was a cat? <laughs> and I was like, no, not quite got the full understanding of that story. And, you know, sometimes people miss the point, don't they? Like Joshua sort of missed the point of that. Don't worry, we've had another conversation. He doesn't think that Gramps was a cat anymore. Um, but, you know, even though you do your best, sometimes people just don't pick up on what you're trying to say. It's really hard to understand things. I'm sure it's happened to every single one of us at some point or another. seems to happen to me quite a lot that I don't fully understand what people are trying to say. And here in the Bible, it not only happened to Thomas last week when he struggled to believe that Jesus was risen when the disciples were telling him this, but it also happened on the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. One of them, as David read, we know is called Cleopas. The other we're not sure of may well have been his wife. Some people think it was his wife, Mary, and they were walking along together, or it could have been his friend. But whoever it was, they were walking along the road together, and they were followers of Jesus, and they were confused. They didn't understand what was happening. We're told that as they walked, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened Presumably, that would have included Jesus' entrance to Jerusalem just a little while ago, and the incident in the temple courts when Jesus turned over the tables. It would have included his arrest and his trial and the crucifixion, as well as maybe earlier on, Jesus' teachings and his miracles. It may well have been a discussion about what had happened, about why all this had happened, about what was going on exactly in this story of Jesus. Now, what's not clear from our English translation that we read in the Bible today is that this discussion, as it goes on to say it is in the passage, was not just any normal discussion. It's not just a little chit-chat as they walked along the road, thinking about the things that had happened. It was more of a debate, if you like. These words in the Bible are quite strong words. It was a lively discussion, a strong debate. It may even have been on the verge of an argument These two disciples were arguing backwards and forwards about everything that had happened and what exactly this now meant for them. Because you see, these two disciples had no clue why Jesus had had to die, why things had turned out so terribly for them. And so they were trying to figure it out together in a lively, loud, animated way as they walked along the road, which is when Jesus appears. Or should I say, when this stranger appeared next to them, because for some reason they have no idea who he is. They don't recognise the risen body of Christ as he comes alongside them at this time. 
And I guess in a way that's quite a good thing because it enables Jesus to interrupt their conversation and to ask quite innocently, it seems, why are you discussing together as you walk along? What are you doing? What are you arguing about? What's so important that you need to debate it so vigorously? And at that question, Cleopas and his companions stop. They stop arguing. They stop debating. They stop still. And they stand there downcast, as the Bible says, or if you like, a picture of gloom. Two people looking like they had lost their best friend. And they start to explain to Jesus about Jesus. They start to explain their sad story, which had begun with great hope about Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet who clearly had had the power of God, the one who had come to proclaim good news to the poor, to heal and to preach and to bring freedom from suffering. They explain to Jesus how they had thought this Jesus would bring liberation to all God's people. There had been hope, there had been excitement, there had been moments of great joy. And then they tell how the chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they explain to Jesus how he had been crucified, how he had died, how he had been buried, along with their hopes and their dreams and their moments of joy. And now, say these two disciples, the women, Mary, Joanna and Mary, had found the tomb that he was buried in empty. Angels had said that Jesus was alive. But the tomb, well, the tomb was empty. So where is he, say these two disciples, to Jesus? And Jesus, the risen Lord, who is standing there listening to this tale of woe, this story of disappointment, this total confusion that these two disciples have got themselves into, says to them, how foolish you are. How foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You know, he doesn't listen to their story of woe and offer a little bit of sympathy. Here they are, downcast, looking totally gloomy. He doesn't hear their confession and and all that's going on and, and bring comfort in their distress. Instead, he admonishes them, if you like. He tells them off. He tells them to snap out of it. Because, you see, this was not a time for mourning. This was not a time for debate and discussion. This was not a time to look back and see where everything had gone so horribly wrong. This this walk to Emmaus was a time to enter in to what was happening before their very eyes. And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets... Jesus explains to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Or if you like, starting at the beginning of the Hebrew Bible and going all the way to the end, it was quite a long talk. Jesus explains the word of God as it was always intended to be read. Not as a set of rules or an immovable law, but as the unfolding work of God's salvation and restoration through Jesus Christ himself. And as this happens, 
as this conversation progresses, Cleopas and his companion are amazed. They feel their hearts burning within them. They still don't really understand. They still don't really have a clue. They still don't know who Jesus is. But something inside of them, as Jesus speaks, has started to come to life. The scriptures have been illuminated. And the darkness that they were in has started to lift. And the light has started to pour in. Do you know, when I was thinking about this, it reminded me, for some reason, of the wonder of new growth after a forest fire. I don't know whether you know much about forest fires. I didn't, but then I talked to Simon, who filled me in on all things garden or forest. And um, when you have a forest fire, everything is totally destroyed. It's all burnt, it's all cinders, it's all black. There's nothing really, maybe the odd thing is a little bit brown. But after a devastating forest fire, it's just charred. There's nothing. And it seems like nothing could survive. Certainly no animals or humans, but also no plants, no trees. Everything's gone. And it just looks all a picture of gloom, if you like. But then... Because there's been a forest fire, because everything has been destroyed, because light can now shine onto the ground that was once covered in canopies of trees, and because the soil has changed, suddenly new life begins to grow in and amongst all the charred, dead, black stuff. And it's not just any new life, it's diverse new life. So what could never have grown in that forest before suddenly starts to grow. Things that people didn't even know were possible to grow in that place suddenly start to shoot up. It's more diverse and more alive than it was before until the forest once more grows into a green and lush place with different trees and different plants and different things. And it thrives as it's never thrived before. Because the fire, it seems is the thing that is needed for new life to grow in that place. And here, as Jesus opens up the scriptures in a way that the disciples had not known before, it's as if shoots of life began to grow in their dark, dead world. Shoots that they didn't even know could exist in the place that they were in at that time. Until eventually they realise, as Jesus takes the bread and breaks it before them, that out of death has come new life. And not only that, but real life. Life, as Jesus said a while ago, life in all its fullness. And you know, in a way, as we read this passage today, it's really hard for us to get that sense of realisation that these two disciples must have had when Jesus broke the bread. This sense of wonder, this sense of amazement. Because, you know, we've got the full story here in the Bible up till now. We know that Jesus was walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus before they even had a clue what was going on. We know that death is broken We know that life has come. We know that Jesus is alive before they even dare to believe that this might actually be possible. Because we have the Bible. We can read it. We see the story. 
We understand something of how things unfold. And so it's hard for us to get that amazement that they must have felt. And yet, even though we have all this before us, even though we have the Bible here and all these words that we can read, even though we have the means to understand and the sweep of history behind us, even though we know Jesus is alive and the power of the Holy Spirit is here, sometimes, just like Cleopas and his companion on the road to Emmaus, we still struggle to understand what it's all about. And so often, just like Joshua, when I was trying desperately to explain about Grams, we get the wrong end of the stick completely about what God is saying. So that instead of reading the Bible as God intended us to, with Jesus walking beside us and opening the Bible up to us and enabling that life to grow as we read and study, we read the Bible as a book, as a library, as a historical document as something that's maybe a little bit detached from the life of God that is here. Not that it isn't any of those things, not that it isn't a book or a library or historical document, because it is. But we forget sometimes that actually the Bible is so much more than that. It's meant to be so much more than that. I'm sure you've heard a very old story about a Shakespearean actor who always finished his one-man shows with the reading of Psalm 23. Wonderfully experienced actor, used to read it perfectly with the emphasis in exactly the right places. And people would gather just to hear him finish off with the Lord's my shepherd. And the crowd would listen attentively and then they would stand and applaud on their feet because it was such an amazing way of reading it. But one night after the actor had finished this rendition of Psalm 23, a young man from the audience spoke and said, could I maybe do the same and, and read Psalm 23? And the actor said, well, of course, if you want. Thinking, well, this is going to be a bit naff, isn't it, compared to my wonderful rendition. And so the young man got up and in a very soft voice, he recited Psalm 23 by heart. And at the end of his recital, people were moved Like they'd never been moved by when the actor read it. People were crying. People were in tears after this. And the actor said, I don't really understand. I've performed Psalm 23 for years. I've got the emphasis just right. I know how to say it. And you stand there and people are weeping. And the young man quietly replied, well, sir, you know the psalm, but I know the shepherd. And you know, Likewise, if we detach Jesus from his word today, if we forget that to fully understand the Bible, we need to recognize Jesus walking alongside us, then we simply turn this wonderful book into a book full of rules, into an immovable set of laws, into something we can read really, really well, but actually doesn't mean much to our lives. We can debate it, we can discuss it, we can argue over it until we're blue in the face instead of seeing it as the unfolding work of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. 
And even worse than that, if we pick apart the Bible without reading it through the life of Jesus himself, we're in real danger of losing what it is he's actually done for each and every one of us. And instead of we turn the Bible into some kind of weapon that excludes people and pushes people away from the kingdom of God, rather than the word of God which is there that can open up a new way of life that hopefully everyone can walk into. Which is why when we meet together as people here, and hopefully when we read and think on our own, we seek to understand not only what the Bible says, but also what God is saying to us through his word, through the Bible. And likewise, when we share communion together, as we will in a minute, we seek not only to remember what Jesus has done in the past, but also to realise and enter into the life that he's won for us today. We break bread and we drink wine that our eyes may be opened and that our heart may be set ablaze once more. So we're going to do that in a moment together. We're going to share wine We're going to break bread. We're going to eat. We're going to remember. But we're also going to ask Jesus to open our eyes, to set our hearts ablaze, to meet with us in a fresh way through what he has asked us to do. As we prepare ourselves for communion, we're going to sing this next song together. You might want to stand.